Welcome to Prime Alpha's interview series, insights from industry practitioners discussing their journey and their discoveries. Hello, my name is Amanda Jogia, the CEO of Prime Alpha, an online ecosystem bringing together alternative opportunities and their investors. I would like to introduce Neil Modi, co-founder of two hard science companies collectively worth over $300 million that I believe have a real chance to be unicorns and the managing director of Zoa Capital, a venture capital firm focused on commercializing companies that solve big health-related problems with cutting-edge enabling technologies. Welcome, Neil. Great to have you here. <laughs> Thanks for having me on the show today, Amanda. Neil, walk us through your incredible career journey and tell us about you starting your career at 21. Yeah, so I decided to start my first business at 21. It was a chain of retail stores sold them by 24, became a real estate investor because all of my best customers seemed like they were having the most fun in real estate. And to put this in perspective, this was like 2004. So this is going up into a bubble. Of course, it's fun to be in real estate. Flipped a, a bunch of property there, learned from scratch what it took to actually buy and sell properties at a discount in a really fast rising market. And then got an opportunity to start a material science company in high temperature superconductors, a field I'd never heard of verified that I thought the technology that made no sense to me whatsoever made sense to a patent attorney. And the patent attorney loved what we were doing so much. He ended up essentially being the general counsel and really being an advisor and all but being a founder. Maybe we should have given him that title as well. And so I learned the hard way, taking a cocktail napkin idea, literally how to scale a company. And I think at you know the top, we had like 50 employees or 30 contractors, something like that. And we end up filing 2,200 patent claims. I think the company now has 2,700 unique patent claims, all of which were approved worldwide. And so, you know, I went on to raise 22 million, took the company to 100 and quarter million in value. And a new CEO came in and is in the process of running it to a fair amount of success today. And it's in a field that really matters and will affect everything from desalinization to electric cars to MRIs and enable, of course, the, the fun hoverboard, the question I get about the most from, from Back to the Future. Yeah, I, I need that for my son. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was really surprised at the time, while we, we had no trouble raising capital, I was really surprised we never got a deal with Siemens or GE, because we could really truly change the size and dimension of MRIs. And, and I think my company will enable desktop MRIs at some point. So if you feel a little injured after playing basketball, you'll just have the MRI guy come check you out. You'll order him via Uber, he'll come check you out, and that'll be that right? You'll get the image almost instantly. And you'll be able to be good enough to understand your image or the telehealth consultation that follows will make it really easy, all convenient. Why didn't GE and, and Siemens who own that market invest? And it became more obvious to me the more digging I did that there wasn't enough investment dollars going to the innovation in the med tech field. Or even just beyond the med tech field, at the early stage of interesting medical platform technologies, the microbiome, why wasn't more money going into companies like that 10 years ago? And so I said, okay, after I'm done scaling that company to where I can scale it, I spent a number of years studying venture capital. I think I read something like a couple thousand reports on venture capital at the time. I just went and did my own equivalent of a PhD. I then decided we had to build deal flow before we could invest. So we decided we had to see 500 deals before we could write our first check. We now see about 2,000 deals. And my partners and I built a pretty stringent criteria for the kind of companies, the kind of people we want to get a chance to work with. And I think that brings you to present. I guess somewhere inside there, we also started an RNA company that we think will also help in obviously all of the things going on in the world right now related to COVID. 
and hopefully will also really take on the mantle of helping cure cancer through the immunotherapies it's developing as well. You talk about hard sciences. I'm going to ask a dumb question. What is hard sciences? Yeah, hard science to me, and there's probably lots of definitions of hard science, Amanda. So it's not a dumb question. Hard science is not tech. A lot of people saying, are you investing in technology? And tech today really means software and in the way we use it. And so when I say hard sciences, I took on two companies that you'd had to have a PhD to probably understand what was going on as one of the founders, right? Or as the CTO or whatever. You'd had to have a lot of disciplined research over a lot of time in order to get to a product. And so that's kind of what I assume is hard sciences, because of course, some tech and some data science could be considered hard science as well. But it's got that component of, did you spend a lot of years thinking about a problem? On average, the average hard science company CEO or founder has a PhD. Did you spend the extra years of brain damage getting the PhD? And so you spent all this time training yourself to have an insight about a field that you then typically validate through grant money to then go and try and commercialize and take it from science to technology, which means we can actually use it in our houses. Super interesting. So how did you find yourself in that space? You know, I I don't know that I found myself in that space. I just decided I was going to go do that because when I went through all the VCs that existed, there was nobody really focusing on just seed stage. And I thought that's where companies need the most help. And that's where I had the most brain damage as a founder and learned all of these things about IP and building a team. And so I said, okay, we're going to go ahead and focus on this section and we're going to do most VCs end up having an information asymmetry. And based on the information asymmetry, they're able to invest in something that they think is going to go up. We said, that's not enough. And we also want to get active in helping the companies build their patent portfolios out as well. And so we thought that the two components together would help all of our companies really achieve the goals that they were after from day one and also create optionality and a hedge. The optionality, what if the market they're going after fails or the the product they're going after gets leapfrogged, if they've built a robust enough platform, and that's for me to help choose in the beginning, right? Do I think I'm choosing the right kind of platform to invest in? It should have other uses than the original intention. So we get maybe potentially another shot on goal if we've been spending money correctly and not overspending money correctly, right? And then if the company should fail and we've built out the patent portfolio to cover these important areas, we should have something to potentially sell which is even good for the founders. So while I thank God we haven't had any companies go that way since we started investing in 2018, all of the companies we've invested in have had major value inflection points. And a lot of that has to do with IP. A lot of that has to do with their own technological progress. I hear in your voice, I feel like there's a very strong value system. You talk about meditation, you talk about helping in the health world. So how did you decide to focus on solving health problems? I actually thought that there were, I flipped real estate and really enjoyed that. And I really like building stuff. And so I said, okay, how do I build stuff with technology that has a chance to scale to affect the world? And the obvious answer to me was healthcare. And so I was going to put together a thesis on how I was going to look at healthcare and look at the sections where I thought they were low risk, potentially truly affecting all of humanity. And those were the kind of criteria I chose to say, here's where I want to be. Super thoughtful. What was that catalyst that led you to launch Zoa Capital? Catalyst that led me to launch Zoa Capital. I just saw an underfunding in the field, right? Like, so we see 2,000 deals a year probably today. I don't know the exact number. It's probably between 1,500 and it could pass 2,000. 
We'll see about 2,000 deals this year. And to imagine that at least half of those are interesting ideas and couldn't get funding seems really strange to me, right? And so the other thing that's happened since COVID is we've seen a big decline in round A valuations, but round B valuations are even higher. So we think this is maybe the very best time in history to invest in this space where we see this delta. We're just following normal valuations. So you've got a group of folks who really need help in investing in their companies. You've got really interesting valuations, and you've got technology that can help change the world. It seemed like a no-brainer to want to spend time there. Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting. I mean, it's the first time, right, that it's flipped, right, public and private valuations. (laughs) It's such a unique period of time that we haven't seen in a really long time. So yeah, it's an end with healthcare. (laughs) Everything that's going on in healthcare, it's like, Everything is kind of aligning. I think COVID was for healthcare what Sputnik was for the space race. So the space race obviously led to us being able to be on Zoom today, right? And to use our cell phones and all these really phenomenal things, including toothpaste. There's just a plethora of new technology came out of it. And I think COVID has accelerated the use of technology and the innovation and development that's going to happen in the field. And I don't think there's going to be any slowdown. We've seen before COVID that pharma was typically under-owned by the indexes and the mutual funds. And now it's going to be probably over-owned for a little while. And I think it's probably going to have its day the way tech has the last eight, 10 years. My wife works at Microsoft, so it's been fun to see the stock go up, right? And, And see what the tech giants are really doing. And when she talks about why she loves working there, she said, it sounds a little like me. I like working at scale. I like starting to build scale. She likes working at scale. And so when I think about that, I think, okay, really interesting. And now to see that healthcare has that same opportunity to to be working at scale and to say that wherever the market goes, I think people probably finally value and understand a little better that they need to be investing in the pharmas of tomorrow, in the med devices of tomorrow, the diagnostics of tomorrow, the microbiomes of tomorrow. I think that will keep healthcare at the forefront for the rest of our lives and keep it as a dominant industry the way tech has been the last 10 years. I feel like more innovative tech is going to the masses and people are embracing it. So people are having to become much more savvier than they ever had to be. And so things are getting accelerated, which I think is pretty cool. I totally agree. So let's talk about what makes Zoic unique. I think we've talked a little bit about IP, obviously, and how we really try and help companies scale up their IP efforts, whether they need to get to 2,700 claims or whether they just need to get 20 claims. Obviously, those are different programs. But I think what makes Zoic unique is that everybody here has been an operator, has really done something in industry. And as a result, we understand what it takes to scale out a product and what issues it may have. And we don't really freak out when a company has a bump in their milestones, right? We just say, what can we do to be helpful? And I think a lot of that comes from just being thoughtful, right? Can we look at this problem objectively? Can we build a process to look at problems and selection objectively? And then can we build a process to help add value? And so we've done those things. I love hearing you talk about kind of your passions and your firm because having, you know, I don't know if you know this, but I did venture capital back in the 90s <laughs> during the first dot-com looking at a lot of business plans, exactly kind of the same thing that you're talking about. And people with clear missions, clear values, clear purpose, and how they impact their community, I think tend to do better, are more impactful than those that they're just doing. 
And some of what's super helpful and what we look for too is we typically look to see a team that has done something of, of scale before and has exited before. And if we don't see that on the founding team, it doesn't necessarily rule them out, but we've got to figure out how to build that culture. Do we add more board members? Do we need to help recruit the next couple of hires to have had that exit mentality and the exit culture? Is everybody focused around the clock? At one of our companies, one of the founders actually, he'd done well on his last company, sold a public company. He was the number two guy at that company, the number two guy at this company. And when they missed a milestone, he decided to roll out his sleeping bag and sleep at the office and at the lab. And I said, why are you doing that? And he said, I need to set a culture at the company that when we say something, it matters. And he's like, it's not like I'm not going home for dinner with my wife here and there. And it's not like I haven't gone to sleep in my bed at any of the nights, but it's here. I've slept here five nights. I woke up early and I skipped my workout for uh, a month. And everybody knows what a workout fiend I am. I focused all of my extra time on making sure that we got back up to our time uh, milestones and our timeline. And that's the kind of thing we want to see in a founder, right? We want to see that we'll do whatever it takes. Because of course, everybody's human. There's bumps in the road for just being human. Of course, when humans build companies, there's going to be bumps in the road as well. How are you going to solve that? That's not the only way to solve that problem. We've seen other founders success in solving problems other ways. The point is, if you've had success before, you know that you just have to put in more problem-solving horsepower to get through the problem. Yeah. So some of what we're looking for when we're investing is, do they have that thought process? Do we think they can adapt it? How can we put them through some sort of simulation, even if we need to, to see where they're at? Yep, totally. So here's my favorite question. <laughs> so what do you think is your superpower and why? Understanding how the smallest actions have the biggest impact. Why? Because I'm a pretty reflective person and I think more about the ripples of the things we're going to do. So in showing gratitude for our investors or our portfolio companies or for my wife or for my dog who's barking in the background. (laughs) Um, But I think really trying to understand that butterfly effect and really trying to lead from that place of gratitude and service, I think is the small thing everybody can do to have a major impact that everybody can do to be a hero, right? Yeah. Everybody has a superpower for. Yeah. And it's just the same way you look at your founders too. It's like the small thing that they do to make that impact, to turn something around or make something happen. Amazing. Thanks, Neil. Thanks for your time and walking us through your journey. We'll definitely- Thanks, Amanda. I hope that was helpful in giving a little glimpse into my world. Yes. And I want to do more. So we'll have to have you back on. Thank you so much. I look forward to it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Prime Alpha's Visionaries and Innovators podcast. As always, you can head over to primealpha.com to sign up to our email list, as well as check out our other podcasts. See you next time. Mm -hmm.